of the Wild Apricot Podcast. My name is Laura Smith. I'm the community manager here. And across from me is Farhad Chikawala, our marketing project manager. Hi, Laurie. Glad to be here. Hi, Farhad. Nice to see you again. Uh, so today is a really interesting interview. We, do, uh, we talk with Tom Eplett, founder of IX Payments. Uh, and IATS is a payment provider solution. Uh, they're one of Wild Apricot's partners. And they, what they do is they process vari- various currencies and ensure your online payments are processed securely, quickly, and safely. Uh, they've been operating for over 20 years and work with more than 10,000 clients across Canada, the US, and the UK, and numerous parts of Europe. So they've been around. Right. Um, and in our last podcast, if you remember, we did speak with Stephen Bespier, who is the VP of Marketing and Business Development at IATS. Um, and he explained a lot about part of the basics, which is like what payment processing is and how it works and, and what kind of things you should look out for if you're a nonprofit. That's right. Yeah, we learned a lot of great things from Stephen, just sort of about the basics of online payment processing. But today is even more interesting because Tom's been doing a lot of research about the future of payments. Uh, and so here we're talking about things like Kickstarter or GoFundMe, Square, Google Wallet. Uh, so we'll hear from that. And Tom also explains you know, how he got started with IS payments in the first place. Right. So it sounds like we're going to get a bit of a history lesson of online payments, plus look at the future and, and what it holds for us. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of exactly what happens in this interview. In fact, Tom tells his story of when he first tried to make a donation online to a charity. And so we're talking, you know, late 1990s there when the internet was just right. really starting to get going. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think much has changed since then and now. It seems, I was looking at some research the other day, just about half of half or so charities that exist in the world today are, have an online presence. So that's something to remember. Yeah. And I, I think it's even less, which is kind of crazy. You would think more and more people would be online, but moving forward, things are really going to change. Right. And when you keep hearing about uh, how the banking industry and, and how the way we pay has been changing, you know, you hear about Google Wallet and Apple Pay and these kind of virtual currencies where there's not a physical, nothing physical going on. Right. Like the virtual wallet. Right. Yeah. Tom calls Apple Pay and Google Wallet, he calls them collaborators mm-hmm. because they actually collaborate with existing financial institutions. Right. Because and, you still have to work with your current bank. Right. right. They take money out of your bank account. But what's interesting is the disruptors. Mm-hmm. Um, so disruptors are what Tom, you know, Tom actually says PayPal's a disruptor because basically, you know, they it's a point-to-point system. Like you can just transfer funds. And Facebook actually just announced that they're launching something like this that you can start transferring funds from friends to friends. Right. Or right. And kind would thing. Bitcoin come under the same umbrella? Yeah, Bitcoin. Uh, Tom. So Tom talks about that too, and he goes into a lot of detail about it. It's slightly different because it's a cryptocurrency, but same idea. It's it's operating outside of the financial institution. Right, right. And this is going to be affecting charities and nonprofits as well, because I understand slowly but surely people are starting to use these kind of virtual currencies, including Bitcoin. Yeah, there's a few donations that are doing this and or using Facebook or something. Um, but honestly, there, there's even more. Like the crowdfunding is really popular, especially if you're doing a project overseas. So yeah, uh, charities and donations are, or charities and nonprofits are really uh, taking hold of this trend, and right, right. we're seeing more and more of it. Well, I'm very curious to hear what Tom has to say, and, and I'm sure you have some great questions for him. So what are we waiting for? Let's just dive in. Yeah, let's listen in. everyone and welcome to the Wild Apricot Podcast. Today we have an exclusive one-on-one interview with Tom Eplett, founder and CEO of IATS Payments. 
Today, Tom is going to talk to us about the future of payments. And what we mean by that is the technological innovations and trends that are changing the way people donate and make payments online. And for those of you thinking that, oh my gosh, payment processing, that might not sound like the most exciting topic in the world. Well, it's certainly at the core of what we do every day. And as a membership organization, you're taking online payments for events, memberships, donations all the time. And in order to do that safely, securely and efficiently, you need a good payment system. And that is what IAS does. And they are also a partner of Wild Apricot and they provide, provide additional payment processing products and services for over 10,000 nonprofits around the world. So on that note, Tom, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We're very excited to learn about the future of payments. But before we jump into that, I would like to start to learn a little bit more about you and your company and what got you started with IS. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to come out to Vancouver and chat with us. It, it's a long story about how we actually got started. And I, I think like most technologies and most opportunities, it was by accident. I was running a technology company and we were building self-service ticketing kiosks, living in Vancouver. And I happened to read a very interesting article on a local charity, an environmental organization who's well known. And I was inspired. And it was the late 1990s. I went to their website and it was a very good website for its day. Of course, back then, you know, dial-up modems were 2400, 9600 baud modems. So I was dialing in and going to their website, <laughs> and I was inspired enough to make a $25 donation. Online banking had just hit, so I'd signed up to my bank, and I was able to see my visa statement. And that you would expect, like, every two or three days, you would get an update on a charge. So I was very interested in following to see when my donation actually got processed. A week later, it still hadn't hit my statement. Three weeks later, it had still not shown up on my visa statement. Six weeks later, it had not shown up, and I'd pretty much given up hope, and I was about to actually write a check and send it to them. Well, it turns out that day arrived in the mail a very nice thank you letter, and stapled to the top left-hand corner was the receipt from a point-of-sale terminal. So what they had done is they had taken my card data out of their database from the website, walked over to a physical point of sale terminal and started to plug in the numbers and process the transaction. Then they would take the result and go back and put it in their database and say, Tom Apple has made his donation and we'll start sending him letters. And then they folded it up and mailed it. Mm -hmm. So knowing a bit about payment processing at that point, it was a classic call. I picked up the phone and I said, this is who I am. This is what I think your problem is. And this is what I think I can do for you. And they said, well, I'm not the right person to talk to. So they would send me to the next person. I think I went through six or seven, finally got to the right technology person. And he said, absolutely, this is exactly what we need because we have a batch file of 1,800 transactions that we upload with a 2,400 baud modem, very slow, dial-up, takes eight hours. And if the line drops, we have to start over again. Same thing on the way back. Three days later, they would pick up the results file and then they'd have to import that back into the database. Sounds like a lot of steps. Huge. So I said, let me do something for you. And he said, okay. So we built an app. And then within three weeks, they were uploading their file and getting the results back within half an hour. Wow. Huge. Revolutionary at that time. At that time. Yeah. And I, it was amazing. You know, I hadn't really, I did not know anything about the nonprofit sector, but it was clear to me that this was a, an opportunity that needed to be um, filled. And also that the nonprofit sector really needed some help because they were, they had great passion, they had mission in life, 
but they, they weren't getting the efficiencies that they needed. So that was the late 1990s, and since then, that's been the modus operandi of how we've been working through. We, like you said, we've got 10,000 clients. We work in Canada, United States, England, Europe, Southeast Asia, Australia. We have international charities that use us in places like Brazil, where we will authorize and settle in their local currency. Yeah. And we've been following that um, philosophy ever since. Well, it sounds like you've come a long way. And uh, it's interesting to hear you know, how technology was back then and the, the steps you had to mm. go through. So as a fan, uh, as someone who likes technology, what, what changes now are you seeing uh, with mobile and you know, on-demand, mm. all these things? How are you seeing technology affect payment processing today? Absolutely. So 10 years ago, you would have asked me, what is the future of payment processing? And I would have responded and said, it's exactly what it is today. The next year would be the same as the next year after. In the last four or five years, the investment community and the advances of technology and, and the internet has um, created an investment environment where something like $24 billion has in, been invested in startup companies, 1,400 startup companies alone last year, just to crack the nut of financial technology. Hmm. So with all of this money, something's going to stick to the wall. Yeah. So I break it down into uh, collaborators and disruptors. So collaborators would be somebody like Google Wallet, um, Apple Pay, any of the wallets that you see where they're actually just allowing you to store and process your Visa or MasterCard or American Express, whatever card it is that you actually have in your wallet. So they're taking it out of your physical wallet. And they're collaborating with the established financial systems. The disruptors are the ones that we find really interesting. Those are the ones you want to track. And I would put um, PayPal in that really? category. PayPal. Think about all of the PayPal accounts where money is being transferred back and forth. Facebook has just recently announced the ability to transfer money back and forth. Um, Amazon is coming along, and, and given the scope and the number of uh, accounts that these organizations have, and their ability to transfer funds through the direct debit um, infrastructure, they have the potential of absolutely disrupting the environment. Whether they do, whether it catches on, whether it taps into it, who knows? Another one, of course, would be Bitcoin, very famous used by um, a lot of scalpers and ransom people, you know, the criminal element. But we're finding that some of our um, clients, charities, have actually found a way of getting a, accessing a Bitcoin exchange, and they're actually getting some traction. Yeah. Now, it turns out it's not necessarily because they want to make a donation. It's they've got Bitcoins, they don't know what to do with them, and so they'll actually make a donation. So I think you actually have to look at Bitcoin as well. So those would be the disruptors that, that I think the nonprofit sector has to be aware of. That's interesting. Um, so you think Bitcoin actually has a, a, a positive future, especially for charities and nonprofits, because it is an, uh, an online, an online yeah. transaction. The jury is still out, I'll be honest. The, the challenges are um, Visa, for example, or MasterCard, they can do tens of thousands of transactions a second. So Christmas time comes, they don't even blink. They've just got the infrastructure in place. Bitcoin, even with its 10,000 plus servers that are doing the, the bit mining, um, they can really only do seven to 10 transactions a second. So if, if it started to ramp up, given the structure, they would have a problem. 
I don't think, at least at this point, Bitcoin is going to go mainstream. But I, for example, have gone from two years ago laughing at it to thinking, well, you know, we should actually add it to our collection of payment um, methods of payment because at some point it may take off and you look at some of the exchanges and the technology is not too difficult. So I think you have to take it seriously, but I'm not sure I would bet the farm on Bitcoin going mainstream for the nonprofits. And just, just so our, our listeners can understand a bit about what Bitcoin is, it's, it's a digital currency, is that right? I've, I've never quite been able to wrap my head around it. They call it a cryptocurrency. So it's, it's all managed within um, a, a chain block, which is um, getting, well, trying to make it too complicated. It's the ability for, it, there's no human inter intervention. Um, once X number of servers all agree that this is a valid transaction, it becomes um, a valid transaction and money and, and bitcoins transfer into accounts. It's not being controlled by the Bank of Canada or the Federal Reserve. It's literally controlled by the technology. Um, there is no way you can convert it into cash, but it's, um, it's really just a medium of transfer, stored mm -hmm. value, if you will, rather volatile. The, the key, if I, if I might just go on, is, is one of the things we do when we work with our, our clients, large and small, is they come to us and they say, we want mobile payments, or we want Bitcoin, or we want this. We actually sit and talk with them and, and what I do what I refer to as a reality check. So let's take the United States. $335 billion annually is donated to charities. Now, some of that is from very wealthy individuals and foundations. You eliminate that, and something like $250 billion is donated by individuals. So of that, the vast majority of that is still cash. It's still checks. Really? And, and most of it is recurring. Okay. So the actual online component is only about 6.5%. Hmm. So for a nonprofit to sort of give up their recurring giving program or their direct mail campaign or their collecting of cash in a church or something and focusing on the digital, I'm not sure I would go that way. But if you look at that digital component, it's certainly the most rapidly growing, mm -hmm. but it's not something you want to give up everything else and do. And within the digital currency or digital space, you know, a third of it is donations made through your PC, another third through tablets, and another thir third would be through your mobile phone. Mm -hmm. So you have to put that into perspective when you're planning your um, digital campaign. And quite frankly, just having a mobile app or uh, is not going to do any you any good unless you've got a full marketing, digital, social media campaign behind it. Right. Um, they will not just come because you've built it. Right. So that's why we talk about, okay, let's do a reality check. What's really important to your, you as a specific nonprofit? Yeah. And we work with them closely in that regard. So you have to really look at your audience, and uh, it seems like direct mail and uh, good old-fashioned checks are still still yep. the majority, which is really actually surprising to hear. Yeah, checks are shrinking. There's absolutely true. The the older generation, my parents' generation, who would only write checks, um, unfortunately, they're dying off, if you will. They're leaving the market. Um, the next generation, my generation, is more likely to do digital or a credit card. Generations further down, they open their wallet. You want debit or credit, doesn't matter. If the 
Generation Next is coming up. They lived with the digital environment. They just want to be able to transfer things. What are these numbers? Why, why can't I just click and go? Right. So you have to plan for that digression through the demographics, but um, yeah, and that's where you have to look at your sort of social marketing and digital programs to make sure that you're designing them for your particular market audience. If all of your donors are 60 plus, you know, having mobile apps maybe isn't the best thing. If you're looking for a much younger generation, you really need to have a, a mobile app, wallet, and Bitcoin, those sorts of things that will be used by them. Right. It's fascinating. Alternatives. Yeah. Um, and what about uh, what about things like crowdsourcing or crowdfunding? Uh, Kickstarter, mm -hmm. uh, GoFundMe, there's all sorts of new ones coming up. And I feel like that is just really a game changer as well. And, and how does that affect the, the world of payment processing? It's another disruptor. I should have mentioned it earlier. Point-to-point um, uh, -point, um, fund transfer, crowdsourcing, for example, not only within in the donation market, but also with mortgages and lending. Think about it. There are point-to-point um, -point lenders of money, debt, which don't even touch the bank. You get investors from behind, and they want to. You want to borrow ten thousand dollars. You go on online, make an application, and the funds gets transferred. Yeah. The financial institutions are taken out of it. There's all sorts of risk. Um, they have to check you out. They want to. They will look at your full digital social media footprint. So whatever you've published on Facebook or LinkedIn is going to be checked by them. That's interesting. Truly, <laughs> your you, online reputation. It's if you're not online, you it's almost like you don't exist. Mm -hmm. But I do think cloud sourcing for the nonprofit is 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 um, if you are doing. For me, it, it seems to be project by project. If you're doing a general fundraising for, because you're a large um, uh, nonprofit, probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you have a specific project overseas that you want to be funded, then I think clouds, crowdsourcing is a really good way. Peer-to-peer um, -peer, uh, lending or, or transfer funds like we're seeing with um, uh, Facebook and uh, PayPal are, are certainly part of that trend that, that's happening, and, and I think it is a potential of disrupting the established financial system. Yeah, I'm actually curious, and I feel like Facebook just came out with this donate button. Um, that's a big game changer because yep. everyone's on Facebook, and I know a lot of our clients are clubs and small memberships. They use Facebook to, to communicate with mm -hmm. their members. Um, so what is what's what do you envision happening there? Is that just going to wipe everything out? Like. It's, it is it is interesting. So um, a lot of um, PayPal's one, uh, Facebook is a great one. So they can do financial transactions very inexpensively and, and, and almost give it away for free because what is of value to them is your profile. It's, it's why you're sending money, who you're sending money to, all of the things. So they take that big data and then they will market that out and sell that data to third parties. Right. So I think it really is, given that they will give away the transaction for free at this point, um, why wouldn't you use it? What you have to be aware of is the amount of big data that's being given on you without necessarily you knowing about it to a third party who will all of a sudden starting to send you emails or solicitations. So there's always, always trade-offs. But we as a public seem to be willing to give up our private information in exchange for free services, be it Google Mail or PayPal. Yeah, and actually now that we mentioned Google, um, 
what ever happened to Google Wallet? <laughs> I, I remember that being a big hype and then it sort of just dropped off the planet. And it, what, what's your opinion of that, that story? There's two reasons why I think Google um, wasn't as successful as they'd hoped. One is that the wallet business is really a challenge. Um, Ten years ago, when the only browser on the planet was Microsoft, and Netscape was losing market share, and there wasn't there wasn't Chrome, there wasn't Sapphire, there wasn't Firefox, and all of the other ones, it was easy to design a wallet that fit with one particular browser. Now we have so many different opportunities. And we know from running websites that if you make a change, you now have to make sure it works with Sapphire, with Chrome, with and all the, not only just those, but within the versions. Mm -hmm. So wallets are, are being really challenged. And particularly, not only do you have browser differences, but you have mobile device differences. So you've got the Apple um, operating system, but you've got Android with all of its different versions. So to get them to work with all of the various mobile devices and all the different browsers is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. Further in the background behind the way Google was doing it, it was costing them a lot of money. Uh, um, and they were giving it away for free, more or less. But it, it wasn't, it didn't, in my view, it didn't look like it was going to generate the revenues given how they had structured it in the payments network at the back end. Um, they were double charging they were absorbing double charges on every transaction. Mm. So I think somebody at the top said, maybe this isn't a good thing to do. And Google's really good at cutting the strings if it's not working. They are. That's what keeps them innovative. <laughs> They're impressive. Um, and then, so you brought up mobile and how this is uh, changing uh, the way people donate and things like the Haiti uh, crisis. Mm -hmm. We really saw the power of micro, don micro donations and the ability to just quickly donate on your phone. And I certainly remember just sitting on the subway, seeing, mm -hmm. seeing the ad, thinking, oh my gosh, why wouldn't I give $5 or $10 to this? So how do you think mobile is really changing the landscape of um, online payment processing mm -hmm. and donations? You know, for, for, for emotional causes like Haiti or the tsunami or an earthquake where it's it's immediate, you want to help, and there's a groundswell of uh, public um, uh, uh, knowledge of it, texting is brilliant. It absolutely is. It's instantaneous. You you pull the heartstrings. You text the $5 or 10 or $15. It's absolutely an amazing. What we've noticed with some of our partners is that the text to give as a general course of action doesn't necessarily get the response that um, an email solicitation or a more um, deliberate approach to social media would. It's great for those one times high volumes, and, and Haiti was a perfect example. Mm -hmm. So I think there will always be a place for that. I'm less convinced that on the regular day-to-day -day funding um, that uh, text giving is going to provide a huge benefit. If you can find and, and tie it with your social media and an email campaign where you click a link, you're more likely to take them to your website as opposed to a text to give because you, you, they've got more time. Mm -hmm. But for the you know, crisis where it's important, absolutely text to give is, is a great opportunity and, and, and shouldn't be ignored. Um, some of the largest clients that we have have already you know, building emergency donation systems in advance so that they can just turn them on for the next crisis. Um, and so that when the next earthquake comes, they're all set. They've, they've got all the structure in place. They've got the payment processing. They've got all the text to give types of 
so they, there's not that delay. They can hit it um, when the market is hot, if you will. That's a good idea to kind of have it all prepared yeah. so when it, a crisis does emerge um, that you're ready to act because exactly. you, you have to act giver. on the spot. Exactly. Yeah. You'll yeah. be sitting on the tube and wanting to do it immediately. Yeah. So do you have any advice for, um, you know, most of our clients are small membership organizations with very few staff to, to get them going and running all this. Mm. Any advice for how they can prepare for these these changes or, or you know, mm -hmm. you're saying having somewhat of a plan if there is a crisis so you have the mobile stuff set up or, um, you know, looking at crowdsourcing, how, how can a small organization think about these things in a way that really mm -hmm. equips them to handle the, the changes coming around? I, I think really the best approach is working with organizations like yours, you know, Wild Apricot, because the infrastructure and the platform that you provide them is already in place. And you're thinking like we are, what do they need? What are the tools? So I, I would say that I, my first um, advice would be to contact you as, as you know, the partner that's supplying the software. Um, listen to what they have to say. You know, you and I, your organization, ours have, you know, dialogue back and forth is, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could do this with the payment? And, you know, we sit around the table and say, that's great. I would say that would be the, the first step. I think from the next piece is to really look at who, who their donor is. What is the demographic? Is it changing? Are they looking at a younger or older? And be able to, to make those changes. And that's where, um, while Lapricot and IATS can really work together and, and help them, um, you know, look at what they're doing and wondering, you know, is Bitcoin really good for somebody who's a 60-year-old? Probably not. But I bet you those, that 60-year-old is now on an email and is also communicating with grandchildren and children um, that's, you know, finding out what their actual demographic is, is, is probably the most important. Right. Looking at your audience, it always comes down <laughs> to that. And it does. Figuring out what tool that they would prefer or where they live. Um, so that's great. And with Wild Africa, you've got a database to help you do that. That analysis is really powerful. It is, absolutely. And something that we would like to do more of. Um, so I'm just thinking here, that we, we talked a little bit about this with your coworker Steve, but... On October 1st, there's going to be a big change for nonprofits um, that, there, that basically there's going to be a new uh, payment process that makes fraudulent charges more... Uh, EMV. It, yeah, basically makes nonprofits more susceptible to, to fraud or something like this that they need to look out for. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you're referring to the EMV, which is really chip on a pin? Yes. Chip and pin? Yeah. Um, we have had it in Canada for a long time. Um, it's, it's Europe. There are many places that accept nothing else if, for face-to-face. -face. And in the United States, in um, October, there is what's known as a liability shift. So, again, we, it's always important to do the reality check. So in Canada, there really hasn't made too much of an impact on online uh, fraud with respect to the nonprofits. Um, it, what it does do is, is it now, previously before EMV or chip and pin, um, uh, fraudulent transactions or a bad transaction was automatically going to be charged back to the merchant. All that happens with EMV in the United States in October is there is a liability shift. If at a point of sale terminal, and this is the key one, it's retail, point of sale terminal, what's known as face-to-face -face fundraising or fund um, payments, where I give you a card and, and you swipe it and I put it in. That means if you've got chip and pin, then 
Visa and MasterCard or the issuing bank will swallow the charge. For the nonprofit that do mostly um, card not present or online transactions or recurring, it's really not going to have too much of an impact. If they have a point of sale terminal because they've got a, a youth clothing store or they're selling discs or something, then it might. But what we found with our um, extended client base is that's not the type of fraud that they're, they're being hit with. The type of fraud they're being hit with are people who have um, discovered a, a database of cards and they go to the nonprofit's website and start sending through test transactions, might be only a dollar, to see if they're valid cards. The more important key there is to look at the anti-fraud tools that, that our two organizations supply to stop that. EMV, it's not being used, it wouldn't have any, any impact at all. So, but if you've got a point of sale terminal and a face-to-face -face, um, retail shop, absolutely you should be using chip and pin. Um, it's uh, more secure, it's encrypted, um, and should you have a fraudulent transaction, you won't get a charge back. That's good to know, and I think a good uh, a thing to be aware of if you're a nonprofit in the U.S. and that that's coming up October 1st. Um, so I, I just want to wrap up. Is there any you, you've made some great recommendations for how to reach out to different audiences and the different technological trends that are changing the way people do payments and donations online? Is there any last thoughts or key takeaways you want to leave with our audience? That's a really good question. I, I can tell you that um, today um, it's incredibly challenging to uh, try to understand the trends in the payment space. Um, one of the advantages we have being operating internationally, we can look at the best practices. Um, we recently have um, started to bring some of the best practices that are um, and tools that are being used in Australia for representments of card data to Canada and rolling it around into the United States. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the best practices and the trends that are happening in all of these international markets. Um, some of them catch on, some of them don't. It's like Google Wallet. There's a lot of hype around it. So I would always advise people not to be at the bleeding edge. I would rather be second or third than um, spending a lot of time and money on something that in the end isn't going to work. Apple Pay is a um, perfect example. Uh, it's, it seems to be working. There's a bunch of encryption problems and security issues with mobile phones in general. So I wouldn't necessarily rush out and incorporate that into your, your structure. Um, I'd rather be a year, little, a year later when I know that everything is working. Right. So do a reality check. You know, Look at who your demographic is and then decide what the best new payment technology is to service that particular trend. Talk to you, talk to our, us, and, and we will happy to have those conversations and, and brainstorm. That's half the fun of this business. That sounds great. And I, I, as Tom mentioned, I am here in Vancouver in their office, and I saw their amazing uh, support staff, and they've got lots of people there ready to talk to you. And IS works specifically with nonprofits and charities. so. Uh, they can really help you figure this kind of stuff out. So, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was fascinating to hear what your thoughts on all these new trends. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Okay,
great interview with Tom Eplett, the founder of IETS Payments. Absolutely, that was that was a great insight. We kind of got a little history lesson, plus you know what what the future holds. So yeah. we had a good all around education. Yeah. Yeah. What I loved is just you know just learning how the general world of online payments is changing from this kind of institutional take it from your bank account to this peer to peer or point to point transfer. Uh, and that you know, play, people like Facebook are looking at this, so this could be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the biggest companies in the world are getting into this, so it's it's going to be really interesting. And for me, it was very fascinating to learn more about Bitcoin because you hear about so much about it in the media and in the news, and so it's good to hear about how nonprofits and and, and and charities can actually benefit from Bitcoin. So that was a great piece of advice for me. Yeah, I've always wanted to learn about Bitcoin, yeah. but you know, I thought Tom had some really wise advice that. Ultimately, if you're a big nonprofit or a small membership organization, you just need to know your audience and yeah, pick, that, pick the tools yeah, that work for them. It really you know? comes down to that. Yeah, yeah like for instance, if, you know, if your demographics are older, retired people, you don't really want them making payments on Facebook. They're not, they're not going to be familiar with that. Exactly. It really depends on your audience and the context. Uh, you know, again, for instance, if you have a project overseas, then it seems that crowdfunding or peer-to-peer financing can can really be a great way to raise money. Um, you know, or if it's a crisis or a highly emotional kind of situation, then text donations are very effective because people are, you know, are, are more incentive, incentivized to, to donate. You know, that's right. like what we saw in Haiti and other natural disaster sites yeah. uh, as, the, as the kind. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable what we saw for Haiti. So, um, yeah, and you know, IETS is great for that. They work internationally. They look for best practices all over the world, and then they can they can work with you because they're they're. Ex- exclusively focused on nonprofits and charities, they can work with you to help you figure out what to do. So, um, you know, and like Tom was saying, just don't jump on the latest and greatest trend. You, you want to stick with what's safe and what you know. Yeah, I mean, after spending some time listening to Tom, it's, it seems to me that it's, it's typically very, it's the best practice to kind of st- keep play it safe when it comes to taking online donations. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's re- payments. Absolutely, <laughs> there's the money involved, you know. And so you want to keep, I think just meeting your audience where they're most comfortable and where they feel more secure is, seems to be the best strategy in the long run. Yeah, as it always is, know your audience. So thanks everyone for listening. And hey, um, if you're interested in learning more about, you know, what payment processing is, we actually did an interview with Stephen Bespier, VP of Marketing and Business Development at IETS, uh, and he gave a great overview of, of what payment processing is and, and tips for you know saving money on transaction fees and preventing fraud and that kind of stuff. And you can find that in our iTunes stream. So just look for podcast episode seven. Absolutely. Um, also, we've got some even more information on payment for providers because we have a we have a knowledge hub on our website, which kind of is right. like almost like our Wikipedia for membership articles and things like that. So we kind of have a lot of information, a lot of articles on a different variety of subjects, but we have a, a decent selection on things about payment providers. So if you're looking out, uh, if you're trying to, if you're looking out for a payment provider, or you want more information on transaction fees and and different vendors, we have a lot of information there. So I suggest you check it out at wildapricot.com slash articles. Yeah, definitely check that out um, or visit our website for any information you have, wildapricot.com. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Wild Apricot. Yes, and also remember that if you're not yet a Wild Apricot customer um, and you are kind of in a membership-based organization and you're looking for a way to sort of help you manage and run that your organization and you're in need of some software, 
Uh, do remember that Wild Apple Card always has a 30-day free trial available, so and there's no credit card required or anything. So you can just come on our site at wildapricot.com, start a free trial, and just test drive the software, see if it can fit your needs, and see if you can uh, play around with it and, and, and figure out if it's if it actually can be useful to you. Um, also remember that it's a fully functional account, so you can actually even start payment processing and, and try 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 all these features out. Yeah, no, that'd be great. And uh, if you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe to our podcast series on iTunes. Absolutely, I think that's about it for episode 8 of the Wild Apricot Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Farhad. I'm Lori. Until next time. Thanks, everyone.